0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Thursday,
1: June 23rd. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Well, coming up on this edition of Washington Watch, today marks the 50th anniversary of the Title IX amendments to the 1964 Civil Rights Act, which launched women's sports. And as women celebrated their achievements in sports and in education today, the Biden administration has proposed changes to Title IX their changes would advance guess what like everything else they do transgenderism which will effectively sideline women
2: the Biden administration is willing to compromise the prosperity of women just to further its own woke agenda an agenda that will do lasting damage to progress to Title IX has given us for half a century
1: That was Mississippi Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith on Capitol Hill earlier today. We'll talk with Illinois Congressman Mary Miller, a member of the House Education Committee, in just a moment. Also, the Supreme Court handed down another four opinions today. But the Dobbs abortion ruling and the religious freedom case involving Coach Joe Kennedy were not among them. The uh, court will be issuing opinions again tomorrow, so stay tuned. And while the U.S. Senate, by a vote of 65 to 34, advanced a gun control measure that many conservatives, myself included, are opposing for a variety of reasons, the U.S. Supreme Court handed down a ruling today that bolsters the Second Amendment right of Americans. We'll talk with a former Trump administration constitutional attorney, Ken Kulkowski, a little later. And it's been a really busy day on Capitol Hill, so we'll get a legislative update from FRC's Mary Beth Waddell, Director of Federal Affairs, later on in the program. And finally, Israelis could be headed back to the polls for the fifth national election in just three years, as Naftali Bennett's coalition government has collapsed.
3: Israeli citizens, we are
1: standing before you today in a moment that is not easy but with the understanding we made the right decision for Israel. That was Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett earlier this week announcing that there would be a vote to dissolve the government. Now, there are reports that former Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu may be able to form a government coalition before the parliament takes a final vote to dissolve. We get a live report from Jerusalem as CBN Middle East Bureau Chief Chris Mitchell joins us a little later. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you, so please check it out. And by the way, have you visited the Washington Stand? Online news and commentary from a biblical perspective. I encourage you to check that out as well. That's WashingtonStand.com. The word for today coming from the Stand on the Word Bible reading plan is found in 1 Chronicles chapter 9, verses 26 and 27, and it reads as follows. For... In this trusted office were four chief gatekeepers. They were Levites, and they had charge over the chambers and treasuries of the house of God. And they lodged all around the house of God because they had the responsibility and they were in charge of opening and opening in it every morning. Now this chapter lists the duties of the Levites, even the non-glamorous duties of opening and closing the doors and cleaning and taking care of the accoutrements of the temple. But notice that these were called trusted positions of responsibility. Now, what this says to me is that every aspect of God's work is important. Don't ever think what God has called you to do, if you are doing it as unto the Lord and doing your very best, is somehow less important in the eyes of God. It is not. He has placed you in a trusted office of service. So do your best. If you'd like to join our Bible reading plan, you can go to FRC. Dot org slash bible and i would like to thank all of you who have partnered with frc in our end of fiscal year fundraising drive we've um, got just a handful of days left and your support is absolutely critical for us to continue defending faith family and freedom here in our nation's capital and across the country never has it been more important to encourage and equip christians to pray to vote and to stand for truth in our nation. If you'd like to join with the others who are standing with us, just give us a call. I have team members standing by to take your call at 800-225-4008. That's 800-225-4008. Or you can visit TonyPerkins.com to partner with us. Tomorrow, by the way, and Saturday, I'll be speaking at the Louisiana Republican Party's Victory 2022 at the Cajun Dome in Lafayette, Louisiana. Tomorrow, I'll be moderating a discussion a uh, little afternoon with Dr. Ben Carson on the priorities in a post row world. Washington Watch, by the way, will be broadcasting from there tomorrow, so tune in. To find out more, if you're in Louisiana would like to attend, it's open to the public. Go to TonyPerkins.com. Okay, as I mentioned, today marks the 50th anniversary of Title IX of the Education Amendments of 1972, best known for Guaranteeing women and girls the right to equal athletic opportunities. And the Biden administration, on this day, on this very day, decided it was a good idea to release its proposed rule adding sexual orientation and gender identity to their view of sex discrimination. Now, forget about celebrating the gains of women, all right? Just forget about what's happened over the last 50 years. Celebrate people who identify as LGBT, including men who want to compete against women in sports. Well, the Biden administration can expect a lot of pushback, a lot, at all levels. In fact, earlier today, there was a women's rally outside the White House, and it was entitled Our Bodies, Our Sports. And FRC's Mary Sox, a former college basketball player, uh, spoke at the rally.
4: Every time a man plays women's sports... No matter who receives a medal, at least one woman loses. The one who doesn't compete and instead watches from the stands.
1: Again, that was Mary Sock, our own Mary Sock did a great job today. All right. Joining me now is one of the growing number of lawmakers on Capitol Hill who are pushing back. Congresswoman Mary Miller is a member of the House Education and Labor Committee. She represents the 15th Congressional District of Illinois, and she's been fighting on this issue. Congresswoman Miller, welcome back to the program.
4: Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate your work. Let me ask
1: you this, Mary. What's your response on this day, the 50th anniversary, when we're celebrating the accomplishments of women in sports and in education? That the Biden administration chooses this day to announce a rule change that is event, I mean, it's going to sideline women when it comes to sports.
4: Right. It's very offensive. The impact of it, unfortunately, the whole purpose of Title IX was to give our girls and women opportunities in education and athletics that would be equal to what the men had. And by them redefining sex as sexual identity, this is gonna cause so much havoc. Number one, it's going to um, eliminate the athletic uh, opportunities for our girls. It's an attack on parental rights. It's an attack on our girls' safe spaces because now they're gonna want, um, you know, Transgender men in the showers and whatever—it's going to affect any organizations that, um, you know, are are based for women like women shelters. Um, it's attack on freedom of speech. There, uh, we know across the country that children are being forced into coerced speech in light of pronouns and the pronoun police that we now have in public schools, and ultimately, it's attack on freedom of conscience.
1: The history, the legislative history behind Title IX, very clear, this was designed to allow women to have equal opportunities when it comes, into, when it comes to sports and education. Now, the Congress was very clear about this. Congress passed this. Do, do you think 50 years ago when Congress passed this that they knew or they were anticipating or they would support the idea that men who think they're women would be able to compete against women and beat them, and that that would be fair.
4: Well, absolutely not. And actually, uh, last spring I my first bill, the first bill I introduced is called Safety and Opportunity for Girls Act. And the basically what it does is it um, makes clear that sex in Title IX is biologic and genetic. But I remember telling my staff that it wouldn't be long before someone was gonna require a Catler box in the bathrooms. And now we have furries and all this stuff and i'm i can't even fathom it what's ahead if we don't fight back i uh erwin Lutzer, a friend of mine he sent me a text he said evil never retreats on its own only when it's confronted by a more powerful force and we need to use whatever positions we're in whether you're a parent or a teacher you know obviously us here in dc you're using the media is to speak up and fight back. Definitely not a time to be passive.
1: And and the good news is, Mary, that we see parents across the country as they have really grasped what is happening with their kids in the classrooms are pushing back on this agenda, but they need to know. They need to know that this administration, for some perverse reason, is so focused on this that they won't let it go. And so when you talk about having to have a a counter force that's even stronger, this is going to take a lot of parents, churches and pastors standing up to this destructive force.
4: And it's going to cost us something. And we need to face it, that it's going to cost us, whether it's, you know, parents having to go to one income or working out a schedule churches need to come out alongside um, their congregants not everybody has the opportunity or is able to home educate their children but they need to try to provide opportunities to get the kids out of these schools definitely speak up teachers i'm afraid you know i have friends and family that are career Educators and they don't go along with this agenda. One, they don't go along at all. Yeah, Um, it's offensive to them, but they're going to lose their jobs. I'm afraid.
1: Yeah, I was actually in uh, Dallas last week talking to some some uh, teachers, and so thankful we have Christian teachers in the public schools, and we need to continue to send them as missionaries. But you're absolutely right. Our children, no, we need to pull them out. Churches can begin to set up these co-ops where they can. They don't have to set up a school, a formal school, but they can. There's ways, and we've got some tools available for them to help rescue our kids. I, I want to ask you this, Congresswoman Miller, on an, a related note, legislation was introduced yesterday yes. that would allow adults to sue doctors who perform gender transition procedures on them uh, up to the age of uh, up to 30 years after they turned 18. So this is children that are being you know, led down this path, right. surgery's done, they realize later this was a mistake. This opens the door for them to take legal action against these doctors.
4: Well, that's great because it's child abuse. If someone wants to do it as an adult and pay, pick up the financial tab themselves, that's fine. But number one, they're trying to force taxpayers to pay for this. They're lying to the children. I know I had a back and forth with Health and Human Services Secretary. I asked him, is it child abuse to chemically castrate a 12 year old? He wouldn't answer me. And then I asked him if they would promise us that they wouldn't transgender children without parental consent. And he said, I'm not gonna go down that rat hole with, with you. Yeah. But um, they need to be held accountable. They should be afraid of being held accountable because they're abusing children. They're lying to them.
1: Well, and I watched that exchange, and uh, I want to thank you for, uh, for being firm and holding the line, and, and I hope that we can, uh, we can raise up an army of, uh, of moms to stand behind you as you fight the good fight on Capitol Hill. Always great to have you on the program, Mary. Thanks so much for joining us.
4: Thank you, Tony. Take care.
1: All right. Uh, Congresswoman Mary Miller of Illinois, great, great lady. Uh, if you live in Illinois, you've got a great congresswoman, so uh, be sure and uh, support her and encourage her. Uh, look, by the way, we talked about this before earlier in the week. Uh, th- while China's Navy is celebrating the launch of its latest and most advanced aircraft carrier, you know what the U.S. Navy is doing? Celebrating pride in preparing sailors with a Sesame Street style video explaining how to use a person's preferred pronoun. It's insane. Well, look. The Secretary of the Navy needs to hear from you. And I've got a petition at TonyPerkins.com to the Navy, the Secretary of the Navy, Carlos del Toro. And it tells him to focus on defending America. Go to TonyPerkins.com and send him the petition. All right, don't go away. We're going to Jerusalem next.
5: Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word?
2: Learn more at FRC.org forward slash life.
1: This is Washington Watch, and I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Thanks so much for tuning in on this Thursday. Be sure and check out the website, TonyPerkins.com, and sign that petition to the Secretary of the Navy. It's important that he hear from you. About a year after being sworn in, Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett on Monday announced that he would disband his alliance of eight ideologically diverse parties and send the nation back to the polls for the fifth election in three years. Now, yesterday, Israeli lawmakers gave an initial nod to dissolve the Knesset, approving it unanimously 110 to zero. Now that's not the end of it in fact word is now that former prime minister benjamin netanyahu is working to form a coalition government of his own that would head off the fifth election in three years joining us now to talk about this is chris mitchell middle east bureau chief for cbn news chris thanks so much for staying up late there in jerusalem and joining us
7: uh you're welcome tony uh great to be with you and it's a very very uh Perilous time here politically uh, for Israel.
1: Well, tell us about it. All right, so the the, the, the there's been an initial vote to dissolve the Knesset, the parliament. Uh, so where do we stand
7: right now? Well, right now, after that initial vote yesterday, it goes to uh, the Knesset committee, and uh, they have to decide whether or not it goes back to the Knesset for two more votes. Now, that committee is headed by a um, Yamina party member, part of Natalie Bennett's uh, party. And now he may slow walk it just a bit to give uh, Benjamin Netanyahu more time to convince uh, enough Knesset members to come from the uh, the majority back to the opposition. Now, he has 55 seats, Tony. He needs six to make a majority. So right now, the, uh, the horse trading is going on and, and a lot of negotiations behind the scenes to see if he can convince at least six Knesset members uh, to come over. And then, as you uh, it pointed out, that would avoid those elections, fifth uh, elections within three and a half years.
1: So, Chris, uh, Naftali Bennett had a razor-thin um, coalition put together. What brought us to this point? What, what caused him to have to dissolve his
7: government? Well, actually, uh, the three members of his own party uh, from the Yamina, which uh, in Hebrew means right, Uh, actually defected, and uh, many of his members uh, felt that ideologically he was going in a different direction than uh, the way he campaigned. So there was one member several weeks ago that defected. That made it like a 60-60 split in the Knesset. Another member uh, defected, but they were convinced to come back. And then actually the head of this particular Knesset committee, he uh, sort of gave uh, Naftali Bennett an ultimatum, either You, uh, you know, pass this particular law that was uh, was uh, proposed in the uh, Knesset or he's going to resign and that would uh, collapse the government. So to preempt that, that's when uh, Neftali Bennett and Yair Lapid made this joint announcement that they're going to vote to dissolve the Knesset. But right now we're in this interesting period, uh, parliamentary procedures where Netanyahu has a small window It could be improbable, but it is possible that he could form a government. But it was this ideological difference of his own party members, I think, that really made the difference uh, for Natali Bennett.
1: You know, Chris, my observation, and I've been obviously tracking Israel for a number of years, but, you know, the last, uh, well, decade, really, we've had these razor-thin margins. It's so much like what we see here in the United States, such a, a nation that seems to be divided. Of course, the Knesset, much more difficult to operate in because you've got all these different factions. You've got to pull uh, ideologically diverse groups together to form this coalition government. I mean, is, are there any changes that have taken place in the last year that would change the outcome of an election that would give one party more seats than uh, they gained last time?
7: Well, as you said, this uh, particular uh, Knesset, this this coalition had eight uh, parties that really would diverse all the way from the, the far right and uh, the far left and an Arab Islamist party, believe it or not, associated with the Muslim Brotherhood. I think one of the main factors, uh, Tony, in the last several years in these five elections has been uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, If you look at the parliament, you could see that Israel is basically a center-right country. Now, there are several parties, uh, right-wing parties, New Hope, Yamina, Israel Betenu, and they are right-wing parties. But the key is they don't want to serve with Benjamin Netanyahu. And uh, so if you took all those parties, you would have a sizable majority, maybe 70 seats uh, in the Knesset. Uh, but the key, the, the thing that really has stymied the political process here for the last several years has been the unwillingness for many of these uh, former, actually some of them former colleagues of Benjamin Netanyahu to serve with him. If that can be uh, somehow rectified or changed, uh, I think you would see a, a much more stable coalition government here in Israel.
1: So, Chris, if, if he if if Benjamin Netanyahu were to step aside, would that give his uh, Likud party the the ability to form a a, a strong enough coalition to go forward?
7: It, it's an interesting question, uh, Tony. It's possible, and some people within Likud, uh, you know, maybe a year or so ago, that were advocating just that. But on the other hand, he's extremely popular with the Israeli people. In fact, uh, if you look at the polling. Uh, By a two or three to one margin, he's the favorite to be prime minister by Israelis. Uh, And yet, and and the Likud is by far the biggest party. They have, you know, 30 seats right now. Uh, The next party has about 17, 18 seats. And uh, so he is such a still popular figure among Israelis who really want to see him, uh, many of them, as the next prime minister.
1: Uh, Chris, very quickly, about 30 seconds, how can Christians that care about uh, Israel, the peace of Jerusalem, how can uh, they be praying right now?
7: Pray for godly leadership. Pray that it's somehow uh, the Knesset right now and all these machinations going on, many of them behind the scenes, uh, would, would really be God's solution for this uh, situation because Israel is facing Uh, tremendous threats, Iranian nuclear deal, uh, a two-state solution advocated by the State Department and the Biden administration. So pray for the peace of Jerusalem and for godly leadership here in Israel.
1: We will do just that. And uh, again, Chris Mitchell, I want to thank you for staying up late there in Jerusalem and uh, and joining us. Always good to see you and uh, talk to you. Thanks, Tony. All right, folks, find out more. You can track uh, Chris in his work with CBN, and and he's great source of finding out what's happening in Israel, so I encourage you to do that. Coming up, violent crime has been on the rise again, and some cities are on track to surpass last year's historic levels of violent crime. What's behind this? We're going to talk about it next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. A lot more Washington Watch still to come. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. Glad to have you with us. All right, across the nation, violent crime is once again on the rise. And if you believe the claims of some that the recent rise in violent crime is driven by gun violence, and therefore the Democrats calling for gun control, uh, that that's the solution, well, I, I think you need to take a little deeper look at it. Look at cities like New York, uh, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., um, you know these places have uh, pretty strong gun control laws, but yet they are set to outpace last year's historic levels of violent crime. Here to talk about this is Morse Tan, Dean of Liberty University School of Law, former Ambassador at Large for the U.S. State Department's Office of Global Criminal Justice. Uh, Dean Tan, welcome to Washington Watch.
3: Good to be on the program with you, Tony.
1: So I'm going to jump right into this. What do we see in the early numbers half year? Well, about five to six months reported uh, six major cities on track to beat last year's record. What's driving this?
3: This is an unusual spike that is going against the grain of the larger trend of decreases in violence and in gun violence over the past several decades. Um, There is... Uh, A thought that perhaps COVID-related strain is a factor is also thought that some of the diminishing and attacks upon law enforcement uh, has also been a factor. Most of the gun violence is committed with uh, illegally held guns. Uh, And so that would seem to indicate that the enforcement is more important than just proliferating more and more laws. And actually most of them are uh, suicides. And so uh, there is an emphasis in media coverage in regards to mass shootings. But when you're talking about those who die from gun suicides are uh, very, constitute a very high percentage.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And so. in, in, when we look at uh, all violent crimes and we're talking about, uh, you know, rape, we're talking about uh, robbery uh, we're talking about uh, assaults. Um, so th- there's a, there's a lot in that category. Of course, not all of them being committed with, with guns. Are, are you concerned, uh, Dean Tan, that we we're seeing kind of lawlessness that you know since the summer of 2020 that seems to be. I mean, that's when we began to see the spike. In fact, I think the uh, the FBI's numbers from the 2020 were the highest number of, uh, of, of gun-related violence uh, since they started keeping statistics. So it, it, to me, and I'm, I'm a former police officer, but I don't track it like you do, but I would think that there's lawlessness in this country, and it just seems to be mushrooming.
3: Yes, I think there's something to that. If you look at the idea of if there is enforcement over broken windows, for example.
1: The New York policy that Rudy Giuliani pursued.
3: Exactly. That there's something to it when people feel like that laws exist, that they're being enforced, and that somebody is watching what they're doing, uh, that actually has a major effect in diminishing, um, diminishing violent crime as well. And so... Uh, This is something that I think applies both to property-related crimes as well as violent crimes. And so the deterrent effect of seeing that law enforcement is actually happening, I think, can make a big difference. Well, I mean,
1: that's right now. I mean, we see the Biden administration and what's happening with the demonstrations that are outside uh, the homes of Supreme Court justices, and that's a clear violation of law. Title 18, Section 1507 of the U.S. Code says you can't intimidate or try to sway a justice. But yet the Biden administration is saying, well, as long as it's peaceful, peaceful, uh, we're not going to do anything about it. Does that not foster lawlessness?
3: I think it would. Uh, I think it is outrageous uh, that the leak happened, for example, in the Dobbs case, that an armed gunman was uh, seeking to assassinate Justice Kavanaugh, these are things that are of great concern, uh, not to mention the fact that the greatest amount of violence happens in the safety of what should be the safety of one's mother's womb.
1: Yeah, I, uh, you, you're, you touched right on it. I think that is what, in my view, when you, you and I don't think as, as believers, as Christians, we cannot look at this separate from the the spiritual ramifications of choices that we make, you know, when we're given a choice of life, but yet we take life in the womb and we choose to go counter to what God's word has to say. I don't think we should be surprised that that same type of violence works its way out on the streets of America.
3: I agree with that. I, I think that is exactly right. And um, we understand it to be uh, a reflection of the fallness of, of humanity, and we believe that there is such a thing as redemption through Jesus. And uh, also the effects of a great spiritual awakening, such as the first and second great awakenings in US history, had a profound effect along these lines. After the, uh, in the midst of the first great awakening, the police officers had nothing to do, the jails were empty. And so to say that these things don't have an effect, is actually contrary to the historical record, uh, not to mention the fact that the most successful um, prison programs are the faith-based ones where you have the transformative transformative power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's been at the root of them.
1: It's the transformative power of the gospel, the good news. Uh, Dean Tan, thanks so much for joining us today. Some really important points that you made me May we see that same type of awakening come to America again, where our police officers will have more time to drink coffee and eat donuts. So be it. All right. Uh, Dean, good to see you. Thanks so much for joining us.
3: Good to see you, too, Tony. All right.
1: Coming up, with so much going on this week, it, uh, it's really kind of hard to keep track, so we're going to give you an update. Mary Beth Waddell joins me next with a legislative update. Don't go away.
8: With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742.
2: Are you a university student? Do you know a university student? Specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12- to 15-week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more.
1: And as I mentioned, a busy, busy week on Capitol Hill. I'm going to bring in uh, Mary Beth Waddell in just a moment to give us a uh, kind of an update on what's happening on the Hill. But first, I want to remind you about this petition that we're launching today. Uh, the, The Chinese Navy celebrating the launch last week of its latest and most advanced aircraft carrier. The U.S. Navy at the same time, what are they celebrating? Not the launch of a new ship, but rather they're celebrating gay pride. And preparing sailors with a Sesame Street style program. I mean, it's 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 so foolish, and and they're they're talking about how not to offend people by using their preferred pronoun. Why don't they fight wars? Why don't they prepare our sailors to to actually maybe sail the ships so they don't crash them, uh, which has been happening. Anyway. Um, Join us in this petition to the Secretary of the Navy. Now, maybe he won't respond to it, but he needs to hear from you that this foolishness needs to stop. Uh, You can go to TonyPerkins.com or visit FRCaction.org slash Navy. Either way, TonyPerkins.com, FRCaction.org slash Navy, and tell them to put an end to this foolishness. Okay. Busy week on Capitol Hill, lots of uh, different pieces of legislation. Of course, today the Senate passing a uh, gun control measure. We're going to talk in a moment uh, with Ken Kulkowski about a Second Amendment victory from the court. But first, joining me now is Mary Beth Waddell, Director of Federal Affairs for the Family Research Council. Mary Beth, welcome back to Washington Watch.
6: Great to be here. Thanks, Tony.
1: Okay, you were on Capitol Hill today for a number of events. Uh, You've been up there all week on different pieces of legislation. Uh, Where do you want to start?
6: Absolutely. It's been a busy day. You know, you've uh, discussed Title IX, but even beyond that, in the defense space, uh, at about 2 o'clock this morning or a little after, the House Armed Services Committee completed their NDAA, uh, the National Defense Authorization Act, and then you also had uh, the Appropriations Committee release their text of the defense bill, um, which there's good and bad news in both of those areas. You also had the good the gun vote, as you mentioned. Um, and then tonight, the House is going to be taking up an LGBT data inclusion bill, that obviously has great concerns in it.
1: All right, let me go back to the NDAA because that's something um, we worked on last year very closely because they were trying to uh, put women in the draft into that measure. Um, where does that stand?
6: Fortunately, there was no amendment to draft women, so that did not make it into the text of the NDAA. That is the the good news there.
1: Well, and I will say that's, I think, in large part to people across the country that responded last year when we put out those alerts and they uh, contacted members of Congress and they they retreated on that. It was in there and they retreated after hearing uh, from folks. Uh, so what uh, what are we hearing uh, as, I mean, this bill on the gun control that the Senate passed, very little time to review it. We had Senator Holly on yesterday outlining some of the, the flaws of the proposed bill. Uh, what else have we found in that that's been problematic as it's advanced?
6: Absolutely. It um, unfortunately has both life and family concerns with it. Um, there is a section that really incentivizes uh, states that fund abortions to do so at uh, with school board health centers. Um, and so that's a concern. Okay. Let, and me, then,
1: let, me, let me stop you right there, Mary Beth, so people understand. I mean, this is a gun control bill, but yet what is rolled into this? You got the red flag, which is a problem, but then they're creating this almost expanded, uh, I guess it's Medicaid funded um, school health clinics that will include mental health which could then lead to counseling for abortion and those states that currently fund abortion, this would allow them to do that. Is that right?
6: Absolutely. You know, you see this incentivization here on, you know, the life issue that yes, this is supposed to be a bill about guns, but it has a lot to do with health care, um, which is why we see these problems in it. You know, it's not about protecting the safety of the physical bodies of children who could be victims of a gunman, but it, it really deals with these other issues and gets into the mental health concerns, which is where family issues come in. Right. You know, there are sections and portions of this bill that really could increase and incentivize uh, socially transitioning of children right. by increasing health care in a uh, these different facilities at schools and parents not knowing.
1: Well, I mean, given what we're already seeing happening in schools across America, where parents are being cut out and not told that their kid wants to uh, to trans trans become transgender because of the the peer pressure there, this could this would only make the situation worse. Uh, On that note, uh, a bill we mentioned this earlier with uh, Congresswoman Miller, but yesterday a measure was uh, introduced in the Senate by Senator Cotton and in the House by uh, Jim Banks to protect minors from dren- gender transition procedures. Uh, tell us about that, real quick.
6: Absolutely. There is a bill that um, allows deed transitioners to file suit against uh, quote unquote medical practitioners that lead them down this road. And then, secondarily, there was another bill that specifically relates to the school issue. Um, but there was a House companion. Senator Cotton introduced it. And now we have a house companion that would prevent schools from being able to uh, go down this road of being involved in health care and trying to socially transition children without parental consent or knowledge.
1: Wow. A lot going on. Mary Beth Waddell, thanks so much for staying up there in Capitol Hill and uh, keeping an eye on uh, what is happening. And uh, thanks for joining us today.
6: Absolutely. We do what we can. Thanks, Tony.
1: All right. Uh, and folks, you know, one way to keep up with what's happening on these issues is to make sure you visit the Washington Stand. That's FRC's new online news and commentary from a biblical perspective. A lot of we've got reporters now on the team that are writing on these that uh, get their information directly from our folks that are on the Hill. Again, that's WashingtonStand.com. Okay, the wait continues for the U.S. Supreme Court's highly anticipated decision on the major abortion case, Dobbs versus Jackson's Jackson Women's Health Organization. The court uh, also, uh, another pending decision, is that with uh, Coach Kennedy. That's the prayer case. That one too is uh, still to come. Joining me now to talk uh, about one of the cases today, a Second Amendment victory as well as what we can anticipate in the days ahead is Ken Klukowski, former senior counsel in the Civil Division of the U.S. Department of Justice. He also served in the White House as special counsel in the Office of Management and Budget. He has also litigated constitutional cases in the Supreme Court. Ken, welcome back to
0: Washington Watch. Tony, it's great to be with you. Thank you. Let's start off with the
1: ruling today. You know, it's kind of ironic the uh, Senate passing a measure that would restrict uh, guns. But yet the Supreme Court, in a majority opinion written by Clarence Thomas, um, tells citizens of New York they have a right to their Second Amendment, and the state cannot unnecessarily block it.
0: Well, that's right, Tony. This this is a historic uh, advance, and I would say restoration, for the right to keep and bear arms uh, in uh, as under the Second Amendment for law-abiding and peaceable Americans— The Supreme Court has had two, but only two, major Second Amendment cases in its history. They're both in the past 20 years. In 2008, you had the Heller case, where the court held that the right to bear arms is an individual right. And then two years later, in the McDonald case, they made it clear that that right uh, also applies against state and local governments, not just the federal government, that it is what we call a fundamental right under the Constitution, But both of those cases involved law-abiding citizens who wanted to have a handgun at home for self-defense. It left open to another day uh, all the other questions of what you would have under the Second Amendment. And today, what the Supreme Court held – and it was a 6-3 to vote, not 5-4, but a 6-3 to vote – is that the court's reasoning of the fundamental right to self-defense and the reason it's in the Constitution – That that extends beyond the home, and thus that a person has a constitutional right to bear arms with them as they're going about their daily lives. And thus that New York State's law that said you have to have proper cause or or a special justification to have a permit to have a firearm with you when you leave your home. That, that violates the Second Amendment to the Constitution.
1: Well, I, I find it a little ironic that the, uh, the, the, the minority, the, the liberals on the court who opposed this, were talking about the uh, various um, mass shootings that had taken place. Well, the reality is if you had more law-abiding citizens who were armed, just like right now we've got this crime wave, New York being one of them, that's on courts to set a new record of violent crime if you had more law-abiding citizens who were armed, you know, maybe we wouldn't have as many criminals perpetrating these mass crimes.
0: Well, and I'll tell you, Tony, the, the court did not engage in those current political and policy uh, arguments. Obviously, the, the country is dealing with uh, a number of tragedies on that front. You and I have discussed on, on previous shows uh, what we think the true root causes. Are uh, to things like that, and that law and that disarming citizens who are both, uh, full adults is not the solution. And we've discussed that a number of times, but the court here said this. It, it, it said it, it, in a wonderful opinion by Justice Clarence Thomas, explained that that those policy debates when the framers of our constitution and then the american people enshrined this right in the constitution it elevated it out of the politics of the moment whatever that moment may be and just that they enshrined a right that was a fundamental right for self to keep and bear arms for self-defense and for other lawful purposes and in doing so, in 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 doing so justice thomas also cleaned up what i think has been a decade of confusion over the Second Amendment, where he made clear that certain, these are very academic sounding terms in law, that certain ends means uh, analysis, terms like strict scrutiny and intermediate scrutiny, where judges look to see is this law narrowly tailored? Is it serving a compelling interest? And all of these tools that put in the hands of judges to decide what sort of control laws are permissible. The Supreme Court majority said today. That framework has no place when it comes to to bear arms. It has the scope that it had when the American people adopted it in 1791. Right. And that for anything within the scope of the Second Amendment, the court must look to see if it is consistent with how that right was understood when the amendment was adopted. And if so, then any gun control measure that crosses that line needs to be struck down as unconstitutional.
1: Yeah, what was interesting, one of the statements uh, or one of the uh, provisions of the opinion written by Justice Thomas was, we know of no other constitutional right that an individual must exercise uh, only after demonstrating to government officers some special need. Um, I think it's extremely important that they, they've burdened this Second Amendment and uh, this is a, a restoration, as you said, of that. And, and this, by the way, speaks, as you were talking about, to an originalist view of the Constitution, which is uh, the type of justices that uh, were put on the court under Donald Trump. Now, uh, Ken Klukowski, we've got a couple of opinion. We've got nine, actually, pending cases. When should we expect to hear them? We're going to have uh, some release tomorrow. Would they release all nine tomorrow?
0: Oh, well, it's correct, Tony, that uh, 10 a.m. tomorrow, Friday, the court is going to hand down more decisions, and they won't hand down all of them at that time because they also have a session scheduled next Monday at 10 a.m. It is possible that they could hand down all nine decisions between Friday and Monday, but when we get to Monday, if they haven't handed down the last decision, then at the end of the session on Monday, that's when the Chief Justice would announce which day next week They will have a final setting to hand down any remaining decisions. So we might be done on Monday, or on Monday we will be told what day we will be done. And with that, all of the cases that we've talked about previously, the Dobbs case with Roe v. Wade, the Kennedy case with Religious Liberty, that all that will be coming down in the next few days.
1: Well, it's going to be a big uh, big few days waiting for those to come down. At this point, I, it, it appears the court is going to hold uh, the Dobbs, I would think, to the very end, or they would have released it uh, by now, I would think. That's just uh, my uh, armchair quarterbacking here. But, uh, Ken Kulkowski, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Always great to, uh, to hear from you, Anna, and we'll have you back on. Once we get that Dobbs decision, we'll be talking uh, a lot more as we get a chance to review that opinion. Thank you, Tony. God bless. All right, uh, Ken Klukowski. Uh, wow. So we need to continue to, uh, to, to pray, especially as the, the left ramps up their violence. Now, we've talked about this before, where the administration refusing to do anything. I mean, the FBI, take that back. The FBI has opened some investigations to uh, the now almost 60, almost 60, Acts of violence against either uh, care pregnancy centers, churches, or other pro life organizations. This is that lawlessness I was talking about. They're not aggressively pursuing it. In fact, as we talked about yesterday, the, the governor of New York allocating $10 million to protect abortion clinics. No one's attacked them. Meantime, she's had uh, care pregnancy centers in her state firebombed and doing nothing. To help them we need to be praying that law and order would return to the streets of america and that begins with us we need to uh, we need to be individuals that are under the law first the law of god and we need to do our very best to live as outstanding citizens and use the legitimate constitutional means to seek redress of our grievances and part of that is voting so be sure That You are registered and you are voting. It's primary season. We're going to have more primaries to come. Make sure you're informed, you're registered, and you are voting. And take people with you. Invite others to uh, watch Washington Watch so that they, too, can be informed and involved and engaged. All right. That's the end of our program for today. Thanks so much for joining us. Until next time, I want to leave you with, you know, those words from the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do...